Psalms 142. If you look at the heading in your Bible, it's described as this. It's described as a mascal of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. Now, we're going to go ahead and read that to you. It says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who knows my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry. For I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. For they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word today. I pray today, Lord, that your word would come alive to us that we would hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say. Don't allow us to be distracted by other things, but let us hear just simply what you would say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at that heading of the psalm in your Bible, if you have your text there. That heading, it says, A Mascal of David. Now, there's a variety of different ideas of what that word means, but a mascal means that it's a psalm of instruction. It's a psalm of instruction of David during a specific time. What it is, it's a psalm of instruction from David, and it's written during a very precarious season of David's life. That was illustrated, kind of like the capitalization that says you recognize when this time was, was during this time of David's life whenever he was living in the cave. When he was being chased from cave to cave and running. Now, the scripture tells us of a season in David's life when his enemies were hotly pursuing him. When they had him on the run and when he ended up living in a cave. Hiding out in a cave. Now, this was not a full-time place for David. This was a season of his life. And we need to understand this. That there are seasons of our lives that take place. There are seasons of great blessing and prosperity. And there are seasons of difficulty. What you have to understand is you can't lose heart. You have to understand that this is just a season. Even the blessings. The times of blessings. There's times of blessings we think that will never end. And sometimes we have seasons of blessings. And we have seasons of, of winter. And we have seasons of summer. And seasons of spring. Seasons of growing and seasons of time when it seems like we're dying. Okay? It's just a natural part of life. You can read about David's experiences in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Chapter 24 talks about when Saul and his armies were pursuing David. Do you remember that? Saul and his armies are chasing David down. They're on one side of the mountain and David and his men are running on the other side of the mountain. And they're pursuing them. He's looking to take David's life. During this period of time in 1 Samuel 24, David and his men took refuge in a cave in En Gedi. And while they took refuge in there, Saul made a very foolish decision. 
that he went into the very same cave that David was hidden out in. And the Bible tells us that he went in to relieve himself. So we don't know if he went in to take a nap or if he went in to use the bathroom or why he happened to go into that cave. But while he was there, David was close enough in proximity to him that David was able to cut off the edge of his garment and David could have killed him. And his men said, David, kill him. God's given him into your hands. And we're going to talk about that at the end of our message. The men said, David, God's given him into your hands. Take his life. Let's end this. We can end it right now. But David would not touch God's anointed. We find that David was also running in a cave at another point in his life. And that's in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. And we find that David was in the cave of Adullam when he fled from Achish, the king of Gath. And a lot of commentators think that this is the time whenever, whenever David wrote this particular psalm. Now, the thing we have to understand about that is this. David had gone over. He was fleeing from Saul. He had left his country. He had gone into a foreign country. And the king there knew of David. He knew of David's mighty exploits. And so David acted like he was crazy so that the king wouldn't kill him. He acted like he was a crazy man. I don't know if he was like foaming at the mouth or what he was doing, but David acted like he was crazy to escape from this king. And he ended up, once again, living in a cave. Now, I'm sure most of you have seen the books that are entitled All Kinds of Stuff for Dummies. Have you seen them before? I think we have a few up here. Free Money for College for Dummies. Chihuahuas for Dummies. Anger management for dummies. Some of you may want to get a copy of that. Relationships for dummies. They even have the book of revelations for dummies. Business intelligence for dummies. Windows Vista for dummies. But there's all kinds of books about landscaping for dummies. Almost any topic that you can imagine. I believe if David was alive, he would write to you, this psalm does, it speaks to cave life for dummies. And so we're going to talk about cave life for dummies. Now, there are seasons in our lives when it feels like we're living in a cave. Now, I don't know if you understand what took place for David. David had been anointed by God through the prophet. He was anointed as king over Israel. David had gone out and faced Goliath, had defeated Goliath, killed him, People sang songs. David was a national hero. People sang songs about him. The girls sang songs about him. Saul's killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. We find that David had been Saul's main worship leader, the king's worship leader. And yet he comes into this season of his life when he feels like he's in a cave. It doesn't feel like it. He literally is in a cave. He goes from this promise of being king of Israel to being a man on the run. He goes from this promise of being a mighty warrior who faced Goliath, who faced a lion, who faced a bear. And now he's on a situation where he's running for his life and he's hiding out in a cave. I'm sure he could have looked at himself and says, what are you doing here? This isn't the place for you. What has happened in my life? Well, I want you to know this. If you live long enough, you're going to experience times when you feel like you're living in a cave. Can somebody say amen? There are seasons. When we went to Bermuda, we had a really neat time. And while we were in Bermuda, it's really cool there because the water comes right up to the 
obviously the water comes right up to the land. But along the beaches there, there's a, a lot of caves where the water has washed out against a rock there. You can be walking along the beach, and they have these big public beaches, fairly large. But then if you walk a little further down the beach, you'll have an area about a little sand beach there. And with the rocks all around it, and maybe like a cave in there. And you can go in there and sit in that cave, and it's cool. The sun's not beating down on you. It's really neat. While we were there, we also went to these two caves, and they were called Crystal and Fantasy Caverns. I'm going to let you see a few pictures of them, okay? Now, they have underground pools, all of these beautiful colors. They're stalactite and stalagmites. When you look at it, it's just incredible, the beauty of the caverns. There's all kinds of mineral deposits that glisten whenever the light hits them. Pretty beautiful, isn't it? Now, here's the situation. There's one thing I want you to understand. Typically, when we talk about being in a cave... The caves that most of us go into are not like that. When we talk about cave life for dummies, it doesn't look like that. Now, it may be beautiful in there, but unfortunately, you're not able to see it. There may be beauty all around there. There may be stalactites and stalagmites and mineral deposits, but because it's so dark, you can't see it. I want to illustrate for you what many of your caves are like. If our sound guys can turn off all the lights back there. All right, now I know it's not going to be completely dark. Now what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and put your hands over your eyes. I mean, push you hard. I know now some of you are starting to see stars. Okay, not quite that hard, but push hard. Can't see anything, can you? You don't see anything that's beautiful. Now, if I ask you, most of you probably feel comfortable here because you're sitting in your seat and you saw what was around you and you know that at this moment you don't have to get up. You're familiar with your surroundings. But if we took you into another place with, as you have, keep your eyes covered, if we took you into unfamiliar territory, how many of you would feel comfortable in that kind of darkness? Not too many. We'll go ahead and turn the lights back on. Now, you say, Pastor, why do you say that? Because that's where a lot of us end up through the circumstances and the situations of life. There may be incredible beauty in the cavern that you're in. And I guarantee you that if you could look around and if the light could come on, you would see some beautiful things in there. The first guy, a young boy, discovered this cavern Him and his friend, they were like 12 years old, they got a rope and climbed down like 120 feet down into the cavern. I'm like, oh my goodness, with like a little small, little light. This was like 70 years ago. They went down into this darkness. Now the reality of it is, there's times in our lives when we're stuck in these caverns that we can't see. We don't know what's going on around us. Now, David offers a first-hand account of how he responds to this. And that's what we're going to look at. How did David respond to these trials? The first thing that he does is he cries out to the Lord. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble. David said that he cried out for mercy. He expressed his complaints to God. 
Now, Psalms chapter 62, verse 8 tells us this. It says, trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Now, once you hear this, God doesn't grow tired or weary of us calling out to him. It doesn't discourage him when we call out to him. It doesn't frustrate us when we call out to him. God delights in when his people call to him. The unfortunate thing is, a lot of times when we're in the cave, we start calling out to everybody else. I'm looking for somebody else. Is there anybody else in here with me? And God says, I'm here with you. And we say, but is there anybody else? The Lord speaks to you and he says, I'm here. And you're like, well, okay, God, but is there anybody else, anyone I can put my hands on, flesh and blood? There's some people who try to handle things on their own, and God is their last resort. And you know, it's good to have someone to talk to about your troubles and about the things that you don't understand. But there's no substitute for crying out to the Lord. There's an old hymn, tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. There's something about whenever we cry out to the Lord about the things we don't understand or we can't comprehend or that are too big for us. That's the first thing that David did. The second thing, when you're in a cave, we're finding out cave life for dummies, is number two is remember God knows your way. Verses three and four, David says, For when my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Now there's two possible understandings of this portion of scripture. The one is the fact, maybe the fact that David is declaring his innocence before the Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever things get difficult for me, I start looking at myself and I start searching my heart. And there's times whenever us good Pentecostal people, we can take that a little too far. Not that we're too pure and not that we're too holy, but too much introspection. The Holy Spirit speaks very loudly and clearly to you and I. He doesn't stutter. He does not have a lisp or a speech impediment. Whenever he speaks, he makes very clear to you what you have done wrong. You don't have to guess or question or second guess. He will make it very clear to your heart. And so there's some people who, whenever they're in that dark cave, they start searching for something. What did I do wrong, God? It must be something that I'm missing. May I encourage you that sometimes that's a negative approach. That may not be real helpful to you. David's declaring his innocence. He said God knew the path that he took. God knew the innocence of his heart. God knew that he was not in this cave because of some sin in his heart. And you may be in a cave, you may be in a season of darkness because you are righteous, because you are doing the right thing, because you're following God. We don't understand it, but on occasion, God takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. God takes us through deep valleys and deep waters, and we can't comprehend it on this side. But I promise you there's a day when you will be able to comprehend it and understand it. He says, surely the Lord saw the traps and the snares that were being set for him. Please be aware of this as well. In these dark times, you have to stay on God's path. Because the enemy is setting traps and snares for you all around you. The tendency is, when I'm in a cave, when I'm in this dark place that I don't want to be, the tendency is for me to just run off and do my own thing. 
If you do that, you will surely fall into a snare. You will surely fall into a trap. Okay? The second understanding of this phrase may be that David draws comfort from the fact that God knows his way. He said, Lord, you know my way. Lord, you know my way that I'm innocent. And Lord, you know my way that God is over all and God is watching over him. God knows exactly where he is. When I heard that phrase, you know my way, my mind went back to my older brother John whenever he had pastored for many years. And when he quit pastoring, he felt called into prison ministry. And he started doing that, but he had to drive truck for a year to support his family until he could get a full-time position. And he was going in on Sunday and he'd work in the prison. But during the week, he'd be gone from Sunday night till Saturday afternoon. He'd be driving and oftentimes he'd be parked somewhere behind a warehouse in the Bronx or somewhere in Detroit behind some warehouse at 2 o'clock in the morning waiting for the place to open up so they could deliver their load. And uh, he would talk to my mom. I remember her, her saying that, you know, Johnny, sure you did the right thing. He said, Mom, God knows where I'm at. God knows where I'm at. You see, in the difficult times, it takes a mature person who can understand that God knows where I'm at. I'm in a place that I really don't want to be. This isn't my final destination. This isn't where I want to end up at. But God knows where I'm at. And David had that understanding. He said, God knows the path that I take. He hasn't lost sight of me for a moment. Somebody needs to hear that today. God knows the path that you take. He knows where you are. You may not understand where you are, and you may be confused, and you may feel lost, but God knows exactly where you are. When your spirit grows faint, when you start to lose heart, you need to remember that. Wait a minute. God knows where I am. He won't leave me. He won't forsake me. We often feel like David did in verse 4. David said, I look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. David was in a situation in which he felt totally alone and totally isolated. I want you to understand something. On one fact, this is not true. He felt totally alone. He felt totally isolated. But he wasn't. But he still felt that way. Okay? You understand that? He was isolated. There's, he said, look to my right. There's nobody there. There's nobody who cares about my life. Have you ever been through a season like that? I want you to know if you've been in the cave very long, you will experience that. That's one of the conditions of cave life. That this feeling of isolation. This feeling of aloneness. This feeling like nobody sees me or nobody cares. My plans are not working out as I thought that they would. We remember David actually had men around him who were loved him and were committed to him. David was surrounded by mighty warriors. David wasn't the only giant slayer in that situation. There was many. Around David were many giant slayers. All you have to do is read throughout the Old Testament and you'll find the story of this guy and that guy who killed giants and who did mighty exploits for God. But in that moment, he felt so afraid and so isolated. As we look a little bit more into that, We understand that David had men who were committed to him. They risked their lives to get him a drink of water. His friends went right down into the middle of the enemy's camp 
in the middle of their camp and drew water from their well in the middle of the night and brought it back to David to drink. But David wouldn't drink it. He poured it out as a drink offering before the Lord. So was David truly alone? No, but he felt that way. He looked to his right where normally one of his men would be guarding to him. But in this season, he was isolated. In this season, he was all by himself. And you know what, friends? There are some things that you have to face alone. Have you ever gone through things and felt like you were alone or you were isolated? In your head, you know that there are people who love you and care for you. But in this situation, you feel utterly isolated and helpless. But there's times we have to go through places like that. Because see, if my friend's always there, who do I call upon? I call upon my friend. I call upon my family member. I call upon my neighbor. I call upon my coworker. But God brings us through times in our lives where he wants us to call upon him. You see, because as long as all of our friends are surrounding us, we don't call upon the Lord. We're trying to talk it through or work it through in our own heads. But in these times of utter isolation, David comes to a great understanding. His trust could not be in the mighty warriors who surrounded him. He could not run to his friends or his companions. His refuge would be the Lord. I want you to understand this. God is preparing David for something greater in his life. Lessons David's learning here out in the midst of this cave that is going to prepare him for the future. But God wants to be his refuge. And may I say to you today that God wants to be your refuge as well. Why is it that we feel so horrible whenever God is the last thing that we have to go to? Did you ever think about that? God's the last one I got to go to. And we feel so miserable. Shouldn't we feel just thankful? Shouldn't we feel confident? Shouldn't we feel bold? Shouldn't we feel courageous when God is the one who we can go to? The third point, I just want to remind you, is what David did. David found refuge in the Lord. He says, I cried to you, O Lord, in verse 5. I say, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. David allowed the Lord to be his refuge. I want you to hear the words that I used. David allowed the Lord to be his refuge. My friends, you and I need to allow the Lord to be our refuge. In those times in which you're living in the cave, in those times that are dark, in those times that it seems so hopeless, we need to allow the Lord to be our refuge. God was his safety. God was his confidence. She says, when David cried to God, he affirmed his confidence in him. God, you are my safety. God, you are my refuge. God was his portion. God was his allotment. God was his inheritance. God was all that he had, but God was all that he needed. In his desperate situation, likened to a prison, David petitioned the Lord to rescue him from his strong enemies so he could praise God's name. For what God had done. Also the righteous could then joyfully gather about him. What it means is literally crown themselves. Rejoice and triumph. Because of the Lord's goodness in answering his prayers. But here's the problem. If you and I wait until God answers our prayers. And delivers you from the cave before you praise him. You're going to miss out. Let me say that again. If you wait 
until God delivers you from the cave. If you wait until the battle's already over to praise him, you're going to miss out. Let me tell you what it shows. It shows we've not learned our lesson yet. It shows we're not ready for the next level. It shows that we're not prepared for the things that God has for us. And that sounds harsh and it sounds hard, but it reveals immaturity in our hearts. It reveals a lack of faith. Praise in advance requires a level of faith and maturity that the normal, the average person doesn't have. The average person just goes about, oh, well, if God blesses me, then I'll thank him afterwards. But if you want to grow, if you want to press in, if you want to go further in your relationship with the Lord, then we begin to praise him in the midst of the storm. We praise him in the midst of the darkness. We trust him in advance. Now, if you're in your cave and you're concerned about this, I want to talk to you about the end. All right? Before we do that, I want to go back, though, to the account of David. We're not going to necessarily turn there. But in chapter 24, there was a snare that was set before David. Here's David and his men. They're in the back of the cave. Saul's been chasing them. They're probably back there just sleeping, resting. They're tired. They probably don't have a whole lot of food. They've been on the run. They're outlaws. The king's trying to kill them. They don't know who they can trust. They don't know who they can depend upon. And all of a sudden, one of the guys says to him, they're outside. David, Saul and all of his armies are outside. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, David? Be quiet. Sit still. Listen. They're coming this way. Wait a minute. Saul's coming in. David, God's given him to your hands. We can finish this right now. When he comes in, I'll sneak up. We'll jump him. You'll cut his head off. And we'll walk out carrying his head in our hands. And all the other men, all the other armies of Israel, they'll lose heart. They'll grow faint. They'll give up. They'll follow you because you're the victorious. See, remember you slayed Goliath? God never meant for you to live in this cave. God never intended you to be chased around like a dog. Go ahead, David. Kill him. And David had a choice to make that day. I can take this into my own hands. Surely God wants me to do this. Or he wouldn't have had Saul walk into this cave where I'm hiding out. And I want you to hear something. There's a lot of people who have been ensnared by all kinds of junk. Because when you were in the midst of the darkness in a difficult place, you took things into your own hand. There was a snare put before you. You're forgetting that. No, this seems like the easy way out. I cut off his stinking head. I go out. I carry it just like I did with Goliath. And all the people will roar. They will be afraid of us. I won't have to hide out anymore. I won't have to run anymore. And then what the prophet said that I'm going to be the king. What the prophet said, I'm going to be the king. It'll happen. But David had a conviction in his heart. He said, Far be it for me to do that. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Here it is. When you're in the middle of your cave, in the middle of your dark place, there's going to be opportunities for you exits. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be quick ways out. And it looks like an easy way to go. 
David refused to take that. I'm going to encourage you to refuse to do that. But pastor, it would feel so much better because I hate the feeling that I have in the cave. And for David, can you imagine emotionally what that did to him? I mean, he wasn't afraid. He went out and faced Goliath, knocked him down. He was a teenager. He faced the lion and the bear. And I'm sure that in his back of his head, it kept saying, why are you running, David? Stand and fight Saul. Go ahead, fight him. Go ahead, David. You don't have to run. What are you, a coward? You're stupid. You were supposed to be king. Just go ahead and face him. But David refused to listen to those lies. The enemy may be speaking to some of you about ways to get out of your cave. First of all, you know, I want you to hear this. This is just a season. Cave life is just a season. It's not going to last forever. It's a season. You're not going to be there forever. It's not going to last forever. It may feel like it, but that's not reality. But God told me, I can imagine David saying, probably in the back of his head, here I am hiding in this cave. They sing the songs about me. The prophet came to my house. I was the last kid in the whole group. I was the last one. Nobody thought it would be me. Out of everybody, they thought it would be my brothers because they're tall and good looking. They didn't think it would be me. But the prophet put his hand on me. And he said, this is the one. This is the one who God has chosen. This is the one who God's going to use. This is the one who God has plans for. And some of you have heard God say that. You felt the Holy Spirit speak to you. You felt the Holy Spirit impress upon you. Perhaps there was a word of wisdom or a knowledge or or someone prophesied over you at some point in your life. And God said he was going to do this in your life. And you're standing there in the cave and you're saying, my God, what's going on? I guess I didn't hear. I guess I didn't understand. I guess you weren't going to save my marriage. I guess you weren't going to save my family. I guess you weren't ever going to use me, God. All these doubts and fears. You feel like a coward. You feel like a fool. You ever been in that place where you feel like a fool? You just feel stupid. What am I doing? What am I doing in here? Doesn't make any sense. Why am I still pressing in? And I thought by now God would have done this in my life. I don't know. Maybe I didn't even hear him. Well, you might be down and you might be feel like there's not a lot of hope. But let me tell you how it ends. Do you want to hear how it ends? David wasn't going to stay in there forever. God was going to bring him out. God was going to deliver him. God was going to establish his throne. And God was going to, through David, he was going to raise up the Messiah who's going to save the world. But we said, well, that's good for David. That's cool. But what about for us? I'm going to tell you what our end's going to be. Some of you feel like I'm in a cave now. I feel defeated. I feel cowardly. I feel just bullied around by the enemy. I feel like a fool for trusting in God to save my family or to to deliver me or to answer me or to use me. Let me tell you what the end's going to be. John on the Isle of Patmos had a vision from the Lord of how it all ends. Revelation chapter 19 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters and like peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. 
Fine linen and bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, some of you, and I'll be honest with you, as a guy, I know that we're the bride of Christ, and that kind of weirds me out a little bit. Okay, I'm glad for the fine linen, but I really can't get real excited about being the bride. Okay, the word picture is a little bit weird for me. I'm just being honest. Okay, I don't know how many of you guys get excited about it. I mean, I'm thankful that I'm going to be righteous and clean and have on righteous garments, but it just kind of makes me a little weird. All right, but I understand what he's saying. Then the angel Lord said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the supper the wedding supper of the land. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony is the spirit. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is addressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now I want you to hear, but here's where I'm getting excited. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. Who's that? That's us. We are part of the armies of God. And I'm not much of a horse rider. I'd rather ride a motorcycle or something like that, maybe a four-wheel drive. But according to the word, it says that we're going to be riding on white horses. The armies of heaven. Wait a minute. I'm the same dude that was in the cave, but that's not where I'm staying. That's not where my end is. That's not what my final destination is. I may be there for a while, but that's not my home. That does not define me. I'm traveling through there. I might be in the cave for a little while, but I'm not staying there. Listen to what it says. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine pierce of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm going to tell you what my final destination is. I might spend a little bit of time in the cave. And you might spend a little bit of time in the cave. It may be a longer stay than what you want it to be. And at times you may feel cowardly and you might feel discouraged and you might feel defeated. But my friend, that is not our end. That's not where we finish up. We're going to finish up here riding with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords on white horses, dressed in white, our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And everything that the enemy has done to torment you and defeat you and to mock you and make a fool out of you. Those times when you said, man, I'm crazy. I'm doing the right thing and it doesn't seem like it's working out. Why am I trusting? One day you're going to be riding out on a horse. You're not going to be crawling out of a cave. You're going to be riding on white horses in victory alongside following your commander-in-chief, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father God, I thank you for the presence of the Lord that we sense here today. 
I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for victory. The victory that comes in our lives as we trust in you, as we make the Lord Jesus Christ our refuge. Lord, where can I go but to the Lord? Where can I go to find strength? Where can I go to find courage? Lord, we cry out to you. I'm not going to ever forget, Lord, that you know my way. You've had your eyes upon us, Lord, and it may be dark and damp, and we might be afraid, but God, you have not lost sight of us. You know exactly where we are. And Lord, today we make you the refuge of our soul. We find strength in you because we know that in the end, you are ultimately victorious. Because we are in Christ, we're going to be victorious with you. Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged today. In Jesus' name.